Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets and Chief Content Officer for Inside the Boards. This is the Step 2 Secrets podcast, where we provide you the high-yield content from Step 2 Secrets in audio format, as well as question breakdowns, so you can study on the go and get back to reclaiming some of your life. This is the question breakdown for the pharmacology chapter. A 31-year-old woman is brought by friends to the emergency department at 3 a.m. after they were unable to wake her up. On physical examination, she is obtunded and withdraws from painful stimuli. Vital signs show a temperature of 39.4 degrees Celsius, which is 103 degrees Fahrenheit, blood pressure 110 over 60 millimeters of mercury, heart rate 112 beats per minute, and respiratory rate 30 breaths per minute. Arterial blood gas reveals the following, pH of 7.39, which is normal, PCO2 of 15 millimeters of mercury, which is decreased, and a PO2 of 92 millimeters of mercury, which is normal. Other laboratory results include the following, sodium of 138 milliequivalents per liter, potassium 4.9 milliequivalents per liter, chloride 102 milliequivalents per liter, bicarbonate 18 milliequivalents per liter, BUN, 12 milligrams per deciliter, creatinine, 1.1 milligram per deciliter, and serum uric acid, 2.1 milligrams per deciliter. Which of the following is most likely responsible for these findings? Is it A, acetaminophen overdose, B, ethylene glycol poisoning, C, methanol poisoning, D, peraldehyde overdose, or E, salicylate overdose. When looking at the results of this patient's ABG and laboratory studies, we see a normal pH with a low PCO2 and a low bicarbonate, constituting a mixed disturbance of a metabolic acidosis and a respiratory alkalosis. So now let's take a look at each of the answer choices and try to figure out which of these can cause that mixed picture. So choice A is acetaminophen overdose. This is one of the leading causes of acute liver failure, but should not cause a metabolic acidosis. Patients who present with acetaminophen overdose will have acute elevations in the ALT and AST, although sometimes it does take a little bit of time for those to become abnormal. And we treat acetaminophen overdose with N-acetylcysteine. So because this patient has a metabolic acidosis, this would not be the correct answer choice. Next option is ethylene glycol poisoning. 
This is a classic cause of anion gap metabolic acidosis. However, it does not cause a mixed disturbance as we see in this patient. Next choice is methanol poisoning, which is a classic cause of anion gap metabolic acidosis. This also does not cause a mixed acid-base disturbance. Next choice is peraldehyde overdose. Peraldehyde is essentially no longer prescribed, but had been used to treat seizures. It still remains on lists as a classic cause for anion gap metabolic acidosis, but it also does not cause a mixed disturbance. And so that brings us to answer choice E, salicylate overdose. And this is the most likely to result in a normal pH, a low PCO2, and low bicarbonate, demonstrating a mixed disturbance of a metabolic acidosis and a respiratory alkalosis. Salicylic acid is thought to be a respiratory stimulant, which causes the respiratory alkalosis. So answer your choice E, salicylate overdose is the correct answer in this question. And the learning point here is that an obtunded patient with a salicylate poisoning will have a normal pH, low PCO2, and low bicarbonate on an ABG due to a mixed metabolic acidosis and a respiratory alkalosis. And now, back to the show. This is the pharmacology chapter from USMLE Step 2 Secrets, 5th edition. Question 1. On the USMLE, bizarre, unique, and fatal side effects are tested, as well as common side effects of common drugs. Cover the right-hand column and name the side effects of the listed drugs. For trazodone, priapism. For aspirin, gastrointestinal bleeding and hypersensitivity. Bleomycin, pulmonary fibrosis. Cyclophosphamide, hemorrhagic cystitis. Bupropion, seizures. Isoniazid, vitamin B6 deficiency, which can lead to intractable seizures and also lupus-like syndrome and liver toxicity. Cyclosporin, renal toxicity. Penicillins, anaphylaxis, or a rash with Epstein-Barr virus. Angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, cough, and angioedema. Angiotensin receptor blockers, angioedema. Demeclocycline, diabetes insipidus. Lithium, diabetes insipidus and thyroid dysfunction, sulfa drugs, allergies, or kernicterus in neonates, halothane, liver necrosis, local anesthetic, seizures, and cardiac arrhythmia, phenytoin, folate deficiency, hirsutism, and it's a teratogen, vincristine, peripheral neuropathy, amiodarone, thyroid dysfunction, pulmonary toxicity, and liver toxicity, valproic acid, neural tube defects in offspring, isotretinoin, this is a terrible teratogen, thioridazine, retinal deposits, and cardiac toxicity, heparin, thrombocytopenia, and thrombosis, vancomycin, redman syndrome, which is related to the rate of infusion, Clofibrate, increased gastrointestinal neoplasms, tetracyclines, photosensitivity, and teeth staining in children. Quinolones, it's a teratogen, can cause cartilage damage. Quinine, cinchinism, which is tinnitus and vertigo, 
thrombocytopenia, and QT prolongation. Morphine, sphincter of OD spasm, although this is being questioned. Clindamycin, pseudomembranous colitis, which can actually be caused by any antibiotic. Chloramphenicol, aplastic anemia, and gray baby syndrome. Doxorubicin, cardiomyopathy. Busulfan, pulmonary fibrosis. Monoamine oxidase inhibitors, tyramine crises after eating cheese or wine. Hydralazine, lupus-like syndrome. Procainamide, lupus-like syndrome. Minoxidil, hirsutism. Aminoglycoside, hearing loss and renal toxicity. Acetaminophen, liver toxicity in high doses. Chlorpropamide, SIADH. Oxytocin, SIADH. Opiates, SIADH. Didanazine, pancreatitis, and peripheral neuropathy. Halogen anesthesia, malignant hyperthermia. Succinylcholine, malignant hyperthermia. Do not use it in the presence of hyperkalemia. Zidovudine, bone marrow suppression. Digitalis, gastrointestinal disorders, vision changes, and arrhythmias. Acetazolamide, metabolic acidosis. Clozapine, agranulocytosis. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or SSRIs. Anxiety, agitation, insomnia, sexual dysfunction, and serotonin syndrome. Warfarin, skin necrosis, increased risk for clots early, and it's a teratogen. Niacin, skin flushing and pruritus. HMG-CoA reductase inhibitors, or statins, liver and muscle toxicity. Ethambutol, optic neuritis. Metronidazole, a disulfiram-like reaction with alcohol consumption. Cisplatin, nephrotoxicity. Methyl dopa, hemolytic anemia. The Coombs test is positive. Question two, what are the side effects of diuretics? Thiazide diuretics cause calcium retention, hyperglycemia, hyperuricemia, hyperlipidemia, hyponatremia, hypokalemia, metabolic alkalosis, and hypovolemia. Because they are sulfa drugs, watch out for sulfa allergy. Loop diuretics cause hypokalemic metabolic alkalosis. Hypovolemia, they're more potent than thiazides, ototoxicity, and calcium excretion. With the exception of ethacrinic acid, they also are sulfa drugs. Carbonic anhydrase inhibitors cause metabolic acidosis. Potassium-sparing diuretics, such as spironolactone, may cause hyperkalemia. Question 3. What are the side effects of beta blockers? Like many antihypertensive agents, beta blockers can cause sedation, depression, and sexual dysfunction. They also cause bradycardia and heart block in susceptible patients and should be avoided in patients with these conditions, as should central-acting calcium channel blockers such as verapamil and diltiazem. 
Beta blockers can also precipitate asthmatic attacks via beta-2 receptor blockade and mask the symptoms of hypoglycemia and sepsis. Thus, they should be avoided or used with caution in asthmatics and those with COPD. A beta-1 selective beta blocker or a combined beta and alpha blocker, such as carvedilol, is preferred if a beta blocker is needed to treat another condition such as heart disease. Use in diabetic patients requires an analysis of the risks and benefits. If other equivalent medications are available, consider using them instead. Question 4. What class of antihypertensive agents is best known for its severe first-dose orthostatic hypotension? Alpha-1 antagonists. For example, tamsulosin, which is now often used in BPH and nephrolithiasis. Question 5. What antihypertensive is best known for causing depression? Methyl dopa. Beta blockers may also cause depression. Question 6. Cover the right-hand column and give the antidote for overdose or toxic exposure to the drugs in the left-hand column. Acetaminophen. Give N-acetylcysteine. Benzodiazepines. Flumazenil. It can precipitate benzodiazepine withdrawal and seizure. Beta blockers, glucagon, high-dose insulin, and intralipid therapy. Carbon monoxide, oxygen, which can be given in a hyperbaric chamber in cases of severe poisoning. Cholinesterase inhibitors, give atropine or prolidoxine. Copper or gold, penicillamine, digoxin, Normalize the potassium and other electrolytes, and you can give digoxin antibodies. Iron, deferoxamine. Lead, EDTA, or in children, use succimer. Methanol or ethylene glycol, give fomepazole or ethanol. Muscarinic blockers, physostigmine. Opioids, naloxone. Quinidine or tricyclic antidepressants. Sodium bicarbonate, which is cardioprotective. Calcium channel blockers, calcium, glucagon, high dose insulin, and intralipid therapy. Question 7. If the following medications are given at the same time, what may happen? An MAO inhibitor plus meperidine can result in coma. Aminoglycoside plus a loop diuretic has enhanced ototoxicity. Thiazide plus lithium can result in lithium toxicity. An MAO inhibitor plus an SSRI can result in serotonin syndrome, consisting of hyperthermia, rigidity, myoclonus, and autonomic instability. Question 8. What prophylactic medication should be given to contacts of a patient with Neisseria meningitis? Rifampin, ciprofloxacin, or ceftriaxone? Question 9. Name three medications that cause hepatic enzyme induction and two that cause hepatic enzyme inhibition. Barbiturates, antiepileptics, and rifampin are the classic enzyme inducers. Cimetidine, erythromycin, and ketoconazole are classic inhibitors. The end result may be ineffectiveness or toxicity of other administered drugs. For example, warfarin, oral contraceptives, and anti-epileptics.
Question 10. True or false? If a patient responds to placebo, a psychosomatic condition can be diagnosed. False. Response to placebo means only that the patient responded to placebo. Normal people with real diseases often have an improvement in symptoms with a placebo medication or treatment. Question 11. Describe the mechanism of action for aspirin and other NSAIDs. How do they differ? Aspirin and other NSAIDs inhibit cyclooxygenase centrally and peripherally, an action that gives them anti-inflammatory, antipyretic, analgesic, and antiplatelet effects. The difference between aspirin and other NSAIDs is that aspirin binds to and inhibits cyclooxygenase irreversibly, whereas the cyclooxygenase inhibition of other NSAIDs is reversible. The net result of this difference is in platelets, which cannot make new cyclooxygenase. One dose of aspirin causes antiplatelet effects for the entire life of the platelet, whereas the antiplatelet effects of the other NSAIDs last only for several hours. Question 12. How is acetaminophen different from aspirin and other NSAIDs? Acetaminophen is thought to inhibit cyclooxygenase primarily in the brain. It does not act well in the periphery of the body. Thus, it has analgesic and antipyretic effects, but no antiplatelet or significant anti-inflammatory effects. Question 13. What are the side effects and toxic effects of aspirin? Aspirin causes GI upset and bleeding. It is the most important preventable risk factor for the development of gastric ulcers. Always consider GI bleeding and ulcers in any patient taking aspirin. In addition, aspirin can cause renal damage or aggravate gout. Toxic doses of aspirin can cause tinnitus, vertigo, respiratory alkalosis, and metabolic acidosis. This is a classic step two question. It can also cause hyperthermia, coma, and death. Severe overdoses of aspirin can be removed by dialysis. Question 14. What are the side effects of non-aspirin NSAIDs? NSAIDs also cause GI upset, bleeding, and ulcers. Consider GI bleeding and ulcer in all patients taking aspirin or other NSAIDs. NSAIDs may also cause renal damage, interstitial nephritis, acute tubular necrosis, and or papillary necrosis, especially in patients who take them chronically and have pre-existing renal disease. Question 15. What two developments in NSAID therapy may reduce GI and bleeding complications? Cyclooxygenase 2 or COX-2 inhibitors and new combinations of NSAIDs with prostaglandin E1. Normal NSAIDs inhibit type 1 cyclooxygenase in addition to type 2, which is thought to be the main culprit in causing GI problems. Prostaglandin E1 protects the stomach by supplying what NSAIDs take away. Cyclooxygenase 2 inhibitors avoid the problem altogether, but are not as protective against GI bleeding as initially thought. Two of the three COX-2 inhibitors initially approved in the United States have been removed from the market due to adverse cardiovascular effects. Question 16. What happens with an overdose of acetaminophen? High doses of acetaminophen cause liver toxicity due to the toxic metabolite NAPQI, which causes depletion of glutathione by overloading glutathione stores. Treat with N-acetylcysteine to decrease liver in injury by regenerating glutathione. 
Question 17. What age group should not be given aspirin? What finding on physical exam is a contraindication to aspirin use? Children younger than 15 years of age, especially with a fever or viral infection, should not be given aspirin because of concern about causing Rye syndrome. Do not give aspirin to people with nasal polyps because hypersensitivity reactions involving an asthma attack are extremely common. People with asthma may have an asthma attack after taking aspirin, even in the absence of nasal polyps. Question 18. What is the relationship between aspirin and myocardial infarction? Low-dose aspirin has been proved to be of benefit in reducing the risk of MI in both patients who have had a previous MI and patients with stable or unstable angina who have not had an infarction. 2012 American College of Chest Physicians Clinical Practice Guideline on Antithrombotic and Thrombolytic Therapy recommends that all patients with chronic stable angina or other clinical or laboratory evidence of coronary artery disease receive aspirin indefinitely. High-dose aspirin during an acute MI has been shown to decrease mortality by 23%. Question 19. Discuss the relationship between aspirin and strokes. Low-dose aspirin is of proven benefit in reducing strokes in patients with transient ischemic attacks and or known carotid artery stenosis. That having been said, the risks may outweigh the benefits as mentioned in the question above, especially in patients with uncontrolled hypertension, which coupled with aspirin can increase the risk of a hemorrhagic stroke. Question 20. True or false? Patients should be given an aspirin as soon as possible in the emergency department for a suspected myocardial infarction or unstable angina. True but beware the patient who presents with chest pain and ends up having an aortic dissection, as aspirin should be avoided in such patients. Question 21. True or false, in the setting of an acute neurologic deficit, you should give aspirin before ordering brain imaging. False. When patients present with an acute neurologic deficit, you do not know whether they are having a stroke or TIA. TIA is a retrospective diagnosis made once the symptoms clear and imaging has ruled out tissue injury. First, you should order a CT scan or MRI to rule out hemorrhagic stroke. If the CT scan or MRI is negative for blood, the patient should be given aspirin within 24 to 48 hours of TIA or stroke onset. That's the end of this chapter. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated my publishing company behind USMLE Step 2 Secrets for allowing us to put out this book in audio format. Please check out the other Inside the Boards podcasts over at insidetheboards.com, including the main Inside the Boards podcast and the Inside the Boards Study Smarter series for question breakdowns and tips on getting through medical school. And with that, we wrap up today's episode of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Hi, this is Ted O'Connell. I just wanted to let you know real quick that when the time comes for you to begin studying for the USMLE Step 3, we actually now have a USMLE Step 3 subscription podcast. So I encourage you to check that out over at medpreptogo.com. We have sample episodes available. And even if you're studying for Step 2, you may actually find some of this content uh, really useful for your studies. So please do check it out.